This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Really excited to have with me tonight special guests from Fantasy Pros, Mike Taglier. Mike, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. It is a pleasure to be here with you. I, I, I mean, honestly, like when from the first time you came on the podcast with us to talk about draft coverage and stuff like that, I always enjoyed talking with you. So to hop on your podcast is it's I'm happy to be here, man. Absolutely. So let's dig right into it. Obviously, now the NFL draft, couple months in the rearview mirror, but. You know, kind of the low period here of the summer with with dress slowly starting to kick off soon. I noticed Scott Fish Bowl draft just started off uh, a couple days ago. Most people have done their rookie drafts. Some people still have them lingering throughout the summer months, July or, or parts of August. But it was a great time to have you on. Just kind of pick your brain about these rookies a little bit. So so let's dig right into it. I'm going to start the quarterback position and just kind of maybe share your thoughts a little bit on ranking these top quarterbacks from a redraft to dynasty perspective like we know Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson are going to be out there from first down snap one of of the season we know Trey Lance and Justin Fields at some point this year they're going to get on the get on the field to be determined exactly when uh but but how do you kind of see these guys from a do you Take into account that two guys are starting right away compared to the other guys might be just a handful of games or six games or eight games. Do you take that into account at all when you're talking dynasty or you're you're looking to a much bigger picture? Yeah, you're looking to a much bigger picture because if you're relying on a rookie quarterback, you know, in dynasty, you're probably not in a position to be competing for a title just yet. Um, Trevor Lawrence is the one that I would say is most likely that could be the every week starter just because he's so pro ready. He has the rushing upside for the floor and for the ceiling. Uh, but but then again, you start thinking about the offense with Urban Meyer, and I'm a little worried about that. Um, but that's where the biggest thing comes in with you know with prospects coming into the league and and where a lot of people don't factor in is the coaching right? Is like, what, who are they going to? Is Urban Meyer going to be Trevor Lawrence's coach for more than a year? I don't know if we can say that, honestly. Urban Meyer might not even stick around longer than one year. Um, where, whereas Justin Fields, you know, going to Matt Nagy, Nagy saying that we're not going to start Justin Fields out of the gate. There's no scenario where that happens is idiotic, first off. It, you, don't, you, you should always say it's the best man for the job. We're going to let them compete. Right now, it's Andy, just because he's the veteran. He's shown that he can play in the NFL. And if, it, you know, if Justin proves that he's the better quarterback for our team then we're going to put him out there um so you have to factor that stuff in but then again you know someone like Matt Nagy is on the hot seat whereas if, if they don't win or go to the playoffs this year Matt Nagy is going to be gone and you don't know who the head coach is uh but in dynasty I don't factor that I don't factor in whether or not they're going to start away uh start right away at all um and the only thing again so the coaches, someone like Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, we don't know the coaching situations, but whereas Kyle Shanahan's locked and loaded in San Francisco for a long time, and that's where people are going to to tie to Trey Lance, and you kind of have to because you have Kyle Shanahan, who's someone who's called a fantastic offense, has been particularly efficient, and then they mortgage their future for Trey Lance. So no matter, I don't care if he gets off to a slow start in terms from like a statistical standpoint, he's going to be the quarterback for a long time because they don't have any other options. So um, that, that's the stuff that I kind of let factor into it. But it's in Dynasty, you're, you're, pretty, you're taking the best player. And I think we learn our lesson every single year where someone like A.J. Brown, for example, even me, I was guilty of it, moving him down my rankings a little bit because of landing spot, because I was like, oh, he's tied to Mariota and the Titans. And he overcame a lot. Obviously, Ryan Tannehill taking over changed that. But things can change in the NFL rather quickly. So you're basically just drafting talent. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and it's interesting you bring that up because I think about that all the time with A.J. Brown. He was my number one wide receiver pre-draft just on film alone, and then I was a result, too, of, of – landing spot impacting post-draft too much. And obviously talent most often rises to the top uh, in that. And AJ Brown has obviously done that. So if we're, if we're talking Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, from a dynasty perspective, do you see a wide margin between those guys? Or do you think the rushing capabilities of Fields and Lance kind of closes that gap a little bit? I think we're all in, I think most people are in agreement that pure passing right now, Trevor Lawrence is the most developed and the most advanced of that trio. And yes, he's going to run. I think he's somewhere on the Daniel Jones to Andrew Luck type of rushing capabilities himself, Trevor Lawrence, but the other guys obviously have the ability to be highly impactful with their, with their legs. Do you see the gap close between those three or do you have Lawrence kind of like on in his almost like a separate tier and then the next group of guys? Yeah, I have Lawrence in a little bit of a separate tier. It's not a major gap because I think I have Lawrence as my QB8 or QB9 in Dynasty, whereas Fields and Lance, those guys are like QB13 range. Uh, that's where I have them. So it's not like a major gap, but I, I view, if you were to ask me, do you want Trey Lance or do you want Justin Fields? I think that's a really close call. And if you told me you were going to want to draft either one, I wouldn't convince you the other way because I think it's a toss up between those two. I think that they both can be extremely you know, they could be every week starters in fantasy. Trey Lance, the ceiling we know is massive, but we have a very, very small sample size. When it comes to Justin Fields, he's someone that he doesn't have warts. I mean, he has warts that people didn't want to talk about. He was my number two quarterback in this class. However, it's not like he comes without question marks as a passer with where he's coming from at Ohio State. Um, sometimes not looking off safeties and base the, the interceptions that he throws are so blatantly obvious where there's a defender there and it's like, how did you miss him? It's like he has blind spots at times and that's going to hinder him as a passer, but he does have that rushing upside. Again, Lance coming from a smaller school, um, only one year of production. You know, the one game he played in 2020 was not particularly good. Uh, that was the first game I watched from Trey Lance and I said, I actually messaged Yates uh, as soon as I watched that game. And I said, this is the guy that you're talking about might be better than Trevor Lawrence. I was like, Hey, you know, and he's like, we'll go back and watch that, you know, 2019. So I did. And if you watch just 2019, you can make the case that Trey Lance should have been in the conversation for number one overall. But again, it's a smaller school. It's tough to say that when Trevor Lawrence has done it for as long as he has and at Clemson, you know, so Lawrence to me is the, the one because Lawrence, I think is going to rush for four or 500 yards. I, I think he's underrated, actually, as a rusher. And most people know that he's going to run the ball. But I, I think he's probably closer to that Andrew Luck, maybe even a little bit better than Luck was. And Luck was kind of underrated as a rusher. And it gave you a floor as a fantasy option. So when you combine that with his arm, you combine it with the talent they've put around him with DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault, uh, Marvin Jones now, Travis Etienne. Um, the coaching is all I'm worried about there with the Jaguars. But again, long term, I'm not worried about Trevor Lawrence. So he's definitely the one. Yeah, and I think you make a great point there about Trevor Lawrence and people not – I don't know. I don't know if it's because he's so developed as a natural passer. I don't know if it's because of the color of his skin, but for whatever reason, right? It seems like people don't look at him in terms of and appreciate the athleticism that he does have. Like he yeah. truly is the total package. And I think earlier in his career, 
maybe even the first year or two, we may see him utilize those legs even more, right, as he gets accustomed to the speed of the NFL and reading coverages and the, the team around him gets a little bit better, you know, and he might be asked to be in more, you know, like high shooting games because the defense is very suspect that he's, just, you know, he's just playing up-tempo even more than he might, you know, even with that Urban Meyer system, which is probably going to be up-tempo a lot already. So it, people, I don't think, realize – what type of athletic capabilities and and what he could add on the ground as well, I think is very under the radar. Zach Wilson, would you put him, where are you on Zach Wilson? Where were you pre-draft on him now landing with the Jets, being taken ahead of Trey Lance and and Justin Fields in in terms of at least the Jets eyes. And it sounded like some other teams might've, might've had him higher too on their boards. Do you put him close to Fields and, and Lance or another, like almost like his own tier or maybe potentially with Mac Jones? I, I, I'm not a big Mac Jones guy. So for me, Wilson is kind of like in his own tier for me. And then Mac Jones, where are you on that? I'm with you uh, in terms of his own tier. I, you can make the the argument that he should be placed up in the in the tier with Lance and Fields, but I have more question marks about his game and how it translates to the NFL in terms of what he did at BYU, the opponents he played, the offensive line he was behind. Like there were times when I was watching Zach Wilson and saying, I'm going to stop and I'm just going to count how many seconds he's got this ball in his hands. And there were times like there was a time I remember it was like 10 seconds I counted to before he got rid of the ball. That's just not going to happen in the NFL. You also have Robert Salah coming over there, a defensive minded head coach that signed a longer deal. You have a, a new offensive coordinator. The reason I think that we might be underestimating Zach Wilson in, in redraft formats is just because he has some mobility to his game too. He's another guy that could rush for 300 plus yards. That team is not going to be able to run the ball with Tevin Coleman as their starting running back. I mean, they're not a, they're not a ground and pound team. They just don't have the running backs to support that. So, I mean, I like Michael Carter as much as the next guy, but you're, let's be real. Like most of the time you want him to be in like some sort of a spread offense and, and like utilize him as a, as a blocker because he's a good blocker. He's great in the passing game, but he's not a guy that's going to bang between the tackles for 20 touches a game. Tevin Coleman has proven he can't do that. So Zach Wilson, I think he's going to come out throwing more than people expect in year one. And he does have some of that mobility to his game. So he's definitely above Mac Jones because best case for me, I've said it on Twitter and people gave me crap because they think it was bad mouthing Kirk cousins, but it's not. I said, I said, Mac Jones's ceiling is Kirk Cousins to me. And I say that in not in a negative way. Kirk Cousins is a really good quarterback. He's underrated, actually. But as a fantasy quarterback, do you ever want to start Kirk Cousins on a weekly basis? Absolutely not. Um, he's just, he goes through streaks as a passer. And, and if he's, he has an off day as a passer, he's going to kill your fantasy team. It's the same thing with Mac Jones. He has no mobility. <clears throat> um, so that, that's a totally different tier. He's just one of those guys that, He's going to be great for two quarterback leagues, super flex leagues, because again, he's just, he's a guaranteed starter. They're not letting Jared Stidham take that job once he takes over. Once they move on from Cam Newton, I don't think they can go back to that well because Cam, he's such a confidence driven quarterback that once they bench him for Mac Jones, there is no coming back. I I think Cam would rather just not return to the team at all, honestly. Um, So there's definitely a different tier. I think Zach Wilson's closer to the Justin Fields tier than he is to the Mac Jones one. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And, and, and you bring up a good point that, you know, Zach Wilson does have some athleticism to his game, you know, on a, on a pretty good level as well. Like I never even remotely agreed with some of the comps that were out there to Zach Wilson, to Patrick Mahomes. But if you just said their legs and just said their athletic ability, I do think that is a fair comp. And I think Mahomes doesn't utilize his legs as much as he needs because great offense, great weapons, you know, great thrower. But I, but I do think Wilson may be asked to, to utilize his legs a little bit more. Their Jets obviously have improved that offensive line tremendously, yeah. you know, but they're still a very much 
much developing team there. So I could see I could see Wilson definitely taking off a little bit more than maybe people expect. Maybe not so much designed runs like all the time, but definitely more just when the play like play breaks down, he could take off and pick up some yards. You mentioned Michael Carter as you were talking about Zach Wilson. So why don't we use that as the transition to go over to running backs? A couple of running back questions. I think most people have Najee Harris kind of in his own separate tier. The question I've been asking all the analysts that have been coming on is, is how high are you willing to have him before he steps onto the NFL field for dynasty or redraft? Like, you know, it's like Joe Mixon territory, like kind of like what you're thinking, you know, for redraft for dynasty. Are you, are you pushing him even above a guy like Joe Mixon because of, of youth and opportunity right out of the gate here? Uh, where do you kind of see Najee Harris right off the bat? I am putting him ahead of Joe Mixon uh, because Mixon, like Mixon's a talented player, but in terms of the way he's been used in Zach Taylor's offense, does not they haven't accented his his strengths and what he does well. Um, it's it's kind of annoying to be honest because I think Joe Mixon should have been a top five fantasy running back, but again, Zach Taylor's offense continually underperforms what they're expected to do. And Zach Taylor, I don't, I'm going to say it now, I don't think Zach Taylor's going to be the coach of this team next year. Um, but Najee Harris, you know, you draft a running back like him, he's. I don't want to say he's one of those old school running backs because he's got better receiving chops than most people uh, wanted to give him credit for, but he's a true three down back. He's a banger. He could do anything you want. He could play at any offense. And when you have a, a, a franchise like the Steelers who have a history of showing you we're willing to use uh, workhorse running backs. We saw it with Le'Veon Bell. We saw it with D'Angelo Williams when Le'Veon Bell went down. We saw it with James Conner, who really just couldn't hold up to the workload. I mean, we saw him break down continually year after year, whereas Najee Harris has proven that he can handle the workload, and he's coming from Alabama, uh, you know, a, a college that's churned out NFL running backs over and over and over again. So why are we why are we doubting it? The offensive line, you could say that it's a problem, but it's the same problem for Christian McCaffrey. It's the same problem for Saquon Barkley. Guys that are going as top five picks in fantasy drafts right now, those offensive lines have real problems, you know? Um, whereas Najee Harris, is it a problem? Absolutely. But is there someone that can break tackles and maybe overcome that? It's, it's someone like Najee Harris. He's a tackle breaker. Uh, he's not going to be brought down by his shoelaces. Uh, he's going to be handed the ball. He's going to touch the ball 300 plus times. Uh, I posted a stat um, the other day uh, that there have been, I think it's 68 running backs over the last 10 years who have touched the ball 300 plus times. And I said, you know how many of those running backs have finished outside of RB1 territory? Two. That's it. Uh, so if you're getting those touches, you're definitely worthwhile. Um, drafting him in the first round, you're probably going to get that fifth-year option added to his contract. So therefore, you have a starting running back that's an RB1 territory for five years. What more could you want in Dynasty, honestly? So uh, for me in Dynasty, he's already a first-round pick before stepping on the field. I'm willing to draft him in redraft. I know some people were burned by uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire last year, which, by the way, one of the best discounts you can get in all of football right now. Uh, but don't don't panic about a rookie running back. Don't like running backs. I've done studies on, on age. That's going to be coming out. I think next week on fantasy pros, uh, where it goes at what age does a running back decline? Same thing with wide receivers. And I go through each position and figure out when their prime is running backs. The moment they step onto the NFL field, they are in their prime. It's if they're not good, their rookie year, they're probably not going to be good. Um, so it's just, it's figuring all that stuff out. And Clyde Edwards, by the way, was good. It was just in terms of like touchdowns. That's what, gave people a negative uh, outlook on him. But if he scored a couple more touchdowns, you'd be looking at him in a different light, I promise. Yeah, Najee Harris, we've talked a, a bunch today already about things that people maybe are going under the radar, right? Trevor Lawrence's athleticism, stuff like that. I think Najee Harris's pass catching ability to the 
person who's more of an NFL fan and doesn't follow college football closely, I think they're not, they're looking at him and they're looking at his size and his, and his weight. And they're saying, they're not thinking how good he could be in the past game. And unless you've really watched Alabama and studied his film, he's a really, really talented receiver. So like, this isn't just like a typical bigger physical guy who's not going to be on the field on third down and be involved in the pass game. He's going to be involved in the pass game in a lot of ways. But this is a guy that was not just catching screen passes at Alabama. There's, there's evidence of him like running wheel routes and, and other stuff. And I don't know how much you're going to use it, it, that in Pittsburgh, but it's, it's definitely in his repertoire that he can do. So I think that's something that gets me excited about Najee Harris. Where do you stand on, on the next two? Because I think, and I don't know, you correct me if you were opposite, but pre-draft, it seemed like most people had Ethan in ahead of Javante Williams. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like the gap has closed a little bit based on landing spots, based on Urban Meyer's statements and comments and who knows what to make of that right now uh we know melvin gordon is is lingering for a little bit longer in denver i i think he could still be a surprise cut if i was going to go out on a, a limb and say a surprise veteran cut but if not before the season by next off season he's going to be gone i think from denver where do you kind of sit on the etian uh javante williams discussion I'm still a Travis Etienne supporter. Um, he's someone that, you know, it, when I when I watched Alvin Kamara back in college when he was coming out, I was one of the highest on Kamara. And I've been wrong on players, so I'm not just tooting my horn or anything. Uh, but I was high on Kamara because he ra- reminded me a lot of Jamal Charles. Um, and it's it's the same feeling I got when watching Travis Etienne play as is, is, is a player comparable to Alvin Kamara. I'm not saying he's Alvin Kamara because no one has that contact balance uh, that plays bigger. Honestly, Alvin Kamara is bigger than people realize he is. And he just kind of... It, it's almost he makes it look easy when he's on the football field. What I liked about Etienne is he's that type of running back that he has good contact balance. He can catch the ball to the backfield with the best of them. And the, the best part about his game that, that I think is underrated is his burst out of the hole. Like it happens immediately. And Etienne wants to get downhill. He's not one of those those running backs that wants to bounce the ball outside. He wants to stay in between the tackles if he can, if there's a lane there. But his speed, if you go and watch his 40-yard dash, everybody was talking about his 40-yard dash. It looked good, you know, his pro day. And, and they're watching all of it. And I, I said, the only thing that I saw when I watched that was like, if you go back and watch it right now, like if you pause this podcast and go watch it, ETN, when he ran his 40-yard dash, watch how quickly he gets up to full speed. It happens immediately, and then it, it almost looks slow the rest of the way because he got up to full speed so quick. And it's the same exact thing I saw on, on tape with him. So I do like him a lot. I love that he's tied to, to Trevor Lawrence now. They obviously have a connection between those two. And the stat I have on that is over the last uh, it's eight or nine years now, I've gone back first round running backs. The only, there's only one running back that was drafted in the first round that did not receive at least 198 touches his rookie season. And that was uh, Rashad Penny, Rashad Penny, who dealt with injuries and also was just, it was a terrible first round pick to be honest. Um, but Travis Etienne going to be heavily involved in this offense. They're going to use him as a, as a receiver as well as a running back. You know, James Robinson did a fine job with what they asked him to do last year, but it's a different coaching staff. They obviously wanted to, to, to bring in some sort of timeshare, but ETN is by far the most talented back there. Um, but then you go to the Broncos. The Broncos, it's the same coaching staff, and that's a team that was clearly wanting to use a timeshare. Even if Javante Williams is named the starter going into week one, it's going to be like a 52-48 timeshare. That's what's going to happen. And they've even talked about using Mike Boone, who, by the way, they did sign in free agency. So maybe they do. Even if he gets three to five touches per game, that's still something that caps the upside of these running backs. So Javante Williams is going to be tied to Melvin Gordon for at least one more year. Uh, If he's if Melvin Gordon gets cut, yes, I'm going to move Javante Williams up. I don't anticipate that. Um, 
but it is still one more year. But at the same time, this coaching staff, Philip Lindsay, Melvin Gordon last year, they wanted to use them both in a timeshare. So it just feels like this team wants to use that uh, moving forward. So I do have ETN higher just because the talent coming in, I believed in more. And even the situation just tr- tied to, to ETN, whereas the Broncos are still a quarterback away from being, a, if they get Aaron Rodgers, the Broncos are a team that could make a legitimate Super Bowl run. And I, I that I'm not saying that for shock value. If they get Aaron Rodgers somehow, that defense stays healthy, they can contend. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I think that would could change the narrative of some of those guys as well, including Javante Williams, and make them a legitimate contender. And yeah, you you brought up Ethan's the the thing I kept coming back to in, in here at Saturday Sunday, we've been watching Ethan for years. I always kept writing down rare stop start acceleration. Yes. Like that to me was his calling card. And I think you, you, you mentioned Jamal Charles earlier when you were talking about Alvin Kamara. And I see, I see some of that. Like if you, he's not going to be a straight banger in between the tackles, but if you get him in space and if with, with Trevor Lawrence's athleticism, which we've already talked about, and you're going to start running RPOs and stuff like that. And if Urban Meyer's system and he's there, can translate and you're using space throughout the football field, Ethan's going to be a big time home run hitter. So it's interesting to kind of see how that plays out. I think people are worried a little bit too much about the comments from urban and the, uh, the presence there of James Robinson. I think Ethan's going to be just fine. Uh, you mentioned Michael Carter before, like I said, any thoughts on Michael Carter and, and Trey Sermon to kind of round out the running backs? Cause I think people are, I, I love the situation for Michael Carter. I thought he was going to be a day two pick. It surprised me that he fell to round four, but I think people are acting like that didn't happen. And his value is being pushed up way too high. Nobody was taking the Michael P. Ryan in rookie drafts where they're taking Michael Carter. And that's just because of pre-draft bias that sometimes I think, you know, the draft Twitter and the fancy community overvalues our own takes and, and stuff. And then the NFL feels very differently. And I think sometimes the community has a hard time backing off their stances. And I feel like that's kind of happening here with Michael Carter. I like him. I like the the openness of the depth chart, but we've seen that closes up real quick. It could be a year later. And mm-hmm. and so so what are you kind of making with Michael Carter and Trey Sermon added to that 49ers mix? Again, he's got some draft capital as a late round three, but not like around one or around two. This is the year it needs to happen for Michael Carter because you're right. It can change in a hurry. And this is a team that it wouldn't, would it shock me if they drafted a running back, you know, in the top two rounds next year? Absolutely not. It wouldn't, even if, even if Michael Carter is good this year, um, it could be, they could be trying to model this run game after Kyle Shanahan, what they did in San Francisco, uh, which is very, very possible, obviously, because the coaching staff is coming from over there. Um, but Carter is someone that I did like more in the pre-draft process. And my, my player comparison on him was Justin Forsett. Uh, a lot of people don't remember Justin Forsett. They kind of just kind of put it into their, the back of their minds. Uh, but he was a guy that kind of, he, he, he went from team to team, but he always was getting signed because he did everything well. And then it was just like, he never had a whole lot of work. It was like that, you know, that Tariq Cohen type workload was, he was getting in most teams. And then all of a sudden Seattle and, um, the Ravens gave him an opportunity to, kind of just run with that job. And he did very, very well with it. Michael Carter can do that. Tevin Coleman's not good. Uh, Tevin Coleman is an easy one to pass in that depth chart. And that's why this is the year where Carter's got to get it done. If he wants to make a name for himself and prove that he can handle a bigger workload, he's going to have that opportunity because Tevin Coleman ain't going to hold that job. You can't overlook the fourth round equity because that's the thing is people tell me that all the time. Amon Ross, Amon Rob St. Brown, he's someone that, you know, people are talking about this year, like, oh, he could be a rookie. And I say, be careful with it because, again, over like the last eight or nine years, I've looked at every wide receiver drafted in the fourth round. 
None of them have finished as a top 50 fantasy wide receiver. It does matter. Draft act, draft capital matters in terms of the opportunity they're going to get right out of the gate. It absolutely does. So Carter falling to the fourth round, is it further than you and I thought he should have gone? Yes. But does it matter? Yes, it still does. And there's a reason they brought in Tevin, that Tevin Coleman is proclaimed the starter right now, because if they had drafted Carter in the second or third round, <clears throat> they might say it's a competition. But right now they don't view him as that player. So um, I like Carter. Um, as for Trey Sermon, that's almost like I think the 49ers wanted to trust Raheem Mostert. And that's why last year he was like holding out to get a, a, a like a new contract. They made him happy. They made it happen. But again, injuries popped up and he just couldn't stay on the field. And then for a team that gave up what they did to move up and get Trey Lance that have, you know, their future draft equity is like, it's, it's all gone. They traded up to get Trey Sermon, which tells you a lot about how they feel about him. Um, they have the easiest running back schedule. According to my, the way I do my strength, the schedule is different than most people. Um, but basically they came up as the easiest schedule. So if Raheem Mostert can't stay healthy, Trey Sermon is going to rock uh, behind that offensive line. Uh, and honestly, Kyle Shanahan might give him the, the job right out of the gate, you know, because Trey Sermon was someone that he got better as the year went on. Like I remember starting watching his game film and it was like, he got better and better as the year went on, which might've been something that drew Shanahan to him because basically we've had Tevin Coleman. We've had Jarek McKinnon. We've had Raheem Mostert. None of these guys can stay on the field. We need someone that's reliable. Trey Sermon, if anything is very reliable. Yeah. I mean, listen, Sermon, is a guy that I liked when he was at Oklahoma. I thought he was clearly better than Kennedy Brooks, and a lot of people you know, uh, in the draft Twitter community thought they were kind of even. He went to Ohio State. I was excited about the opportunity. Then he was kind of splitting time or maybe even playing behind Master Teague for a while, but eventually he took the reins there. We saw what he could do down the stretch here. And if Kyle Shanahan was to kind of give him the keys to the kingdom and let him be the lead guy there – then, then probably he's going to live up to you know the value that he is bringing in rookie drafts and how high people have pushed him up there. Uh, but again, it, it's an uncertainty when you're talking late round three and round four. And like you said with Michael Carter, right? He's got to really seize control of this. And even if he does, right? We saw Giovanni Bernard as a second round pick have a pretty good start to his career, and they still went out right and then made the investment in Joe Mixon a few years down the line. So I think if Carter's good this year, that could kind of keep the Jets at bay of say, listen, we don't need to invest, like you said, a top two round pick or a high priority free agent because the Jets have a lot of cap dollars uh, even down the line there. Uh, you know, maybe then they just add another guy to the mix, kind of like Buffalo did with Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, like, you know, a couple of third rounders or another guy like that. I think it would be the best case scenario for Michael Carter moving yeah. forward. Let's take this to the tight end. One question for tight end, because I've been asking a lot of people this. I think it's a really intriguing question. If you're thinking from a dynasty perspective, you know, we know we have Kelsey, Kittle and Waller. How do you fit Kyle Pitts into that trio if you're thinking dynasty? Does he go right to the tippy top without ever, you know, performing yet? Is, is Kelsey still there? Is, is, how do you kind of look at the top of the dynasty tight end ranks and fit Pitts with the draft capital, the excitement that's surrounding him, the, the natural upside that people have, you know, some of the players that people have compared him to? How do you kind of fit him in with those other three really great tight ends? I'm waiting. I mean, if you if if you really want Kyle Pitts, now is not the time to acquire him. He's costing too much. Um, I imagine his price is going to come down after this year. Uh, and I know that some people might scoff at that, but it. And right now, people are expecting him to be the tight end one in two years, two or three years. Like that's basically what they're expecting. And I'm not. I'm just not one of those people. Uh, I'd have a hard time choosing between him and Mark Andrews right now, to be honest, because Andrews has proven that he could play in the NFL. And what Andrews did 
before the age of 25 as a tight end is actually remarkable. Like it just doesn't happen very often in the NFL, especially when you're not playing a whole lot of snaps, which is basically what he's done. Kyle Pitts can be a very, very, very good football player and still not be a top three fantasy tight end. You need volume in what you're doing. And, you know, Arthur Smith coming over to the Falcons, people will say that Arthur Smith didn't throw the ball a whole lot in Tennessee because he had Derrick Henry. Well, he also had A.J. Brown. He also had Ryan Tannehill, who was playing lights out. You know, um, he had Johnu Smith. Johnu Smith, one of the most athletic tight ends in the NFL. And now, you know, and Johnu Smith never saw top tar- – what did he finish with, 60-some targets or something like that last year? Um, you know, basically these tight ends weren't getting a whole lot of targets under Arthur Smith. So now to think that all of a sudden he's going to walk into Atlanta and say, hey, a rookie tight end, we're going to – Travis Kelsey talked about this. They, they asked him what was the biggest, uh, t- the toughest part about the NFL. And he said, you know, I came in thinking I was all that. He's like, and then you, you learn that you have to block. And he's like, if you can't block, you're not going to be on the field for every down. And he's like, that's why my numbers just weren't there at the beginning of my career. He's like, but I came around, I got better and better. And I prided myself on becoming a better blocker so I could stay on the field. It's one of those things that I think people continually underestimate. If Kyle Pitts is used as a, as a wide receiver, like if, if they pull a Marcus, Marcus Colston and he's labeled as a tight end, but then they move him to wide receiver, that's going to change my projection because wide receivers can, because they're on the field all every play, you know, getting that opportunity. But Pitts, I'm interested to see how they're going to use him. But again, if you draft him or if you pick him as a top three tight end right now, he has to be an elite tight end. He has to. There's no room for error there. I would much rather take a player that is proven that I know I'm getting a few more years. I never look out in dynasty beyond three years. Because if you go back and you look at dynasty ADP from three years ago, as of this moment, you will laugh at it. There are a lot of things that are just comical. Um, I remember one at one point, Des Bryant was the number one overall dynasty pick. And then two years later, it's like he's now taking the 15th round. Things change like that. Um, so Kyle Pitts, don't buy him at his ceiling. I, that's my advice. It's just there's there's really talented tight ends. Like like Vernon Davis was almost identical to Kyle Pitts as a, as a prospect athletically. Um, and he didn't come out of the gate swinging. Like it took him some time in his career to become, you know, Vernon Davis. And he was really good, but even Vernon Davis, he was never a top two tight end. So I, I just say approach with caution with Kyle Pitts is all. Yeah. I mean, you make some really good points there because if you're, if you're thinking in that two to three year window, it's hard to see Kelsey Waller and Kittle. Like, I mean, they put a, if they, if all the, if all of them stay healthy and that's obviously been a little bit of an issue for, for Kittle, if they all stay healthy, we know what type of level of production, right? We're, we're, we're expecting Pitts to, to get there and get there in a hurry. Mm-hmm. If he's going to be on that level, if we're looking in, you know, in, in that window of two to three years, you know, obviously people play dynasty differently. So I guess that could impact what we're talking here, or if it's a non, a non-startup, it could be a rebuilding or a contending team that obviously can go in into this as well. Uh, one quick wide receiver or two question uh, before I get you out of here. I thought Jamar Chase was probably since I've been doing Saturday to Sunday, the best complete wide receiver prospect here that, that, that I've studied where do you kind of put him here? Obviously he goes into a little bit of a crowded depth chart, right? T Higgins, who I was a big fan of, had a really strong rookie year. Tyler Boyd is a, is a great slot wide receiver. How, how high are you willing to, similar to what we just said about, you know, Kyle Pitts and, and we know wide receivers translate much quicker. 
How high are you willing to put Jamar Chase right out of the gate, knowing there's a couple players already on the depth chart who are relatively young, very young, in T. Higgins' case, and, and Tyler Boyd's pretty young himself. Uh, how high are you willing to put Jamar Chase, and does the connection right out of the gate with Joe Burrow impact that decision of yours? It kind of does, and that's the part that's weird, is like if you were to go back to a year ago, and say, who's the better prospect, T. Higgins or Jamar Chase? And you asked a hundred different people, a hundred different people would have said it's Jamar Chase. And that's nothing against T. Higgins. It's just more the fact that Chase was the complete, like he was the complete package. Um, where T. Higgins well, didn't profile athletically to be crazy, but he was a, a really good football player. And T. Higgins, when he, when he played with Burrow last year, I mean, there was only, I think there were eight games or that he played with him uh, full games where he was actually a starter and he was the wide receiver 11 in fantasy football during that time. So he was a wide receiver one with no off season, you know, no time to work. Wasn't even a starter right out of the gate that, and he was doing that while Tyler Boyd was getting his targets. He was doing that while AJ green saw 104 targets last year. So T Higgins was doing it. Now we remove AJ green from the equation frees up a lot of air yards. It frees up 104 targets. They really don't have a tight end in this offense that's going to be targeted. Joe Mixon gets targets, but not nearly enough as he should in this offense. So Jamar Chase, I would say he's probably going to get 120 plus targets right out of the gate. And the reason I think that you have to, I'm I'm struggling here because I've always talked about take the player with proven production. T Higgins is that guy, right? But we've seen Jamar Chase produce alongside Justin Jefferson with Joe Burrow as his quarterback. And I know it's the NFL, it's different, but there's a connection there. And Joe Burrow went to ownership and said, hey, I want Jamar Chase. Don't give me the stud offensive tackle. Don't give me that guy. I want want Chase on my team. So when your quarterback does that, he has to basically showcase why I wanted him, right? Um, It's not to say T. Higgins is going to go away, but it's to say that these are like a 1A, 1B situation where, again, Chase was the better prospect coming out. Does he mean he's going to be the better pro? Maybe it's tough to say, but Chase is he's it's tough to say that he's not already a top 15 dynasty wide receiver and that you shouldn't draft him as such, because, again, he's tied to Joe Burrow, who's tied to this franchise, who these two are the face of the franchise, basically. Yeah, I, I'm I'm right there with you. And I think by them taking him over Penny Sewell, I think that says a lot about Joe Burrow keeping him happy, giving him what he wanted. And I think he's going to chase is going to get every opportunity uh, to be the guy there as, as good as Higgins is as good as, as Tyler Boyd is. I think the target share will lean towards chase, whether it's year one, maybe definitely by year two. I, I think we'll, we'll see that. Uh, most people have the Alabama guys next. So I'm going to skip that. And final question I'm going to ask you is of that next group of guys after Chase and the Alabama guys, I feel like it's a very up for grabs. And you ask a hundred different analysts, they're going to give you a, a very different take on the one or two guys they are most intrigued with from that next tier, whether it's based on their pre-draft evaluation or what they're landing spot tied to draft capital but but who are the guys after those top three that one or two names that intrigue you the most from that next group from the batemans to either at the moors Kadarius tony you know terrace marshall pick pick a name or two that intrigues you the most from that next tier it would be bateman and elijah moore um so bateman reminded me so much of keenan allen and it was it was apparent right when i started watching him like the, the, the he's not He's not someone that's going to wow you with his numbers. Like he's not going to test off the charts, but he's a route runner and route running translates at every single level. Um, 
it's one of those things that I'm, I love route runners and I'll take that over size any day. It was the same reason I stuck with Calvin Ridley, even though everybody bashed him after his combine. I was like, I don't care. The dude can get open. Jerry Judy's going to be good. Um, it's just a matter of getting a quarterback that could throw him the football. But, um, Rashad Bateman's a route runner. And does this offense change? You know, we saw Stefan Diggs go to Buffalo and Josh Allen went from a guy that was throwing the ball a little to throwing the ball a lot. And it made him better as a quarterback is Lamar Jackson. It's the same thing. Does his team start throwing the ball a little bit more because they have Bateman, not to say he's Stefan Diggs because he's not, but he he's definitely a route runner. He's going to create separation. He's going to give a big target uh, for Lamar Jackson. And then Elijah Moore is someone that's moved up my rankings um, even over the last couple months. And it's weird to say that for me because usually it's like, hey, don't listen to these hype reports out of everywhere. And like, I'm I'm usually the one looking for negative reports because that set, that speaks volumes because a lot of coaches don't want to speak negatively. But Elijah Moore is a, is a type of player where when I watched him, it's almost like a T. Higgins. I said the same exact thing that T. Higgins didn't test off the charts athletically, but he the game came easy to him. Like he was a prospect that you could just, he's a football player. Elijah Moore obviously tested off the charts. I didn't see that on film. I didn't see the insane athleticism that we saw in his pro day, but I saw a football player that's a natural. And then it's like, you hear AJ Brown say, this dude's better than me. Like that's, I know that he's old miss. I know that all that stuff, but that's, that speaks volumes, you know, to hear AJ Brown say that, cause that dude's a baller. Um, but every single person that's walked into jets camp, everyone, it's not just one person, not just two people. Like everyone that walks there says Elijah Moore is the best player in that field. And he's making plays every single day. And, you know, with him and Zach Wilson working their way up through rookie mini camps and stuff like that, developing that rapport, Elijah Moore has moved, he's skyrocketed up my rankings. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the conversation about the Baltimore offense is fascinating because that really could dictate what level of, of value uh, Rashad Bateman could get in that offense and just how fantasy viable he could be or how consistent he could be in fantasy. And then, yeah, Elijah Moore, it, it, it would be the next guy that for me, I have him ahead of Rondell Moore. I have him ahead of, uh, of Bateman also. Elijah Moore for me is, is the fourth wide receiver that intrigues me after the big three. So it can be interesting because I do think there's a lot of ways it can kind of play out depending on, you know, how quickly some of these guys get thrust into the fire in the different offenses from Arizona to the Giants, you know, to what Baltimore does. And obviously how quickly Elijah Moore integrates himself into that with Jamison Crowder staying for a year. Uh, but maybe Elijah Moore ends up kind of like the Justin Jefferson route, kicking to outside when people weren't expecting that. So it's going to be interesting to follow this. Mike, thank you so much uh, for hopping on here for a little bit and, and talking with me. Always a pleasure. Please let the audience know where to follow you. I'm sure most of them are following you, but anything you want to share about what's going on over, uh, you know, at uh, Fantasy Pros, please let let them know. No, yeah. I mean, obviously, follow me on Twitter at uh, Mike Taglier NFL. That's basically where I post all my articles and, you know, try and respond to those people as I can. Uh, but all my work is up on fantasypros.com. You know, this is the time of the year that's exciting because I'm posting articles that I've been, I've, I have had adequate time to research um, because a lot of times people want like, you know, knee jerk reactions. But in reality, sometimes you need to step back and kind of analyze stuff, research things and, and go through that process. This month is where a lot of those articles come to life, including, you know, I've done articles on what is a dynasty draft pick worth um, being your big dynasty guy. Um, I have studies now over 12 years of, of results that basically tell you exactly what you should be getting uh, when you're drafting in the top half of the first round or the second round. You'd be surprised at what dynasty draft picks are actually worth. Um, you know, what age players decline, all that fun stuff. I'm, I'm doing all that. And um, hopefully you guys can check it out. 
Yeah, guys, make sure you're following Mike. Make sure you listen to the Fantasy Pros podcast. You're checking out all his work. And if you're not checking out, Mike, I'm forgetting off the top of my head. What's the name of your weekly article during oh, the, the season? The Primer. The Primer. If you're not reading the Primer over at Fantasy Pros during the football season, guys, you are doing it wrong. I say it all the time. It is one of my two must-read articles every week. It's the only one that's free and accessible for everybody on the internet. Make sure you're checking it out. If you're limited in time, as I have been, as my family continues to grow, I have to concise where I get my information and where I catch up on things. And the primer is one of the best, if not the best, place to really make sure you are ready for football Sundays every single week. Make sure you are checking that out. So on behalf of Mike, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, Thank you for joining us, and I look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.